0: So glad to be sharing with you guys this morning not only because it's a great privilege to serve you guys but also I don't have to face the sunlight like you guys do um we are in Daniel chapter 10 if you don't have a Bible this morning there are Bibles that look just like this in the pew in front of you or you may have to kind of go down the row a little bit that's okay if you need to Um, again we are in Daniel chapter 10 that's on page 748. I'll give you a second to get there. I'm just going to pray once more while you're finding your place in your Bible. Lord, thank you so much for today, God. All of the service thus far has been so worshipful. Just um, getting the time to pause and have that call to worship to prepare our hearts to be singing your name. And... Um, Speaking the gospel through the songs that we sang and then the songs that we did sing that highlighted um, your defense of us and your great glory your great glory, even walking through these announcements and seeing the practical work that you're doing in the world today and now and our catechism reminding us that you've given us a gift of faith, the gift of faith that even saves us is a gift from you Lord, I pray that you would Help me to speak today, that you would speak through me, that there'd be no nerves or um, no hesitation and no stuttering or a lack of clarity, but that your gospel would be clear and true in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our sermon series that's called Watch the Throne. Earthly empires and our coming king. And it's, uh, we're, we're five sixths of the way through. Daniel has 12 chapters. We're doing one chapter a week, and today we're in chapter 10. Um, thus far, the series has followed this sort of motif of how the powers of humanity come and take the world by storm. And yet, not too far beneath the surface, there's this subversive. Reality of God's kingdom that really holds all things in his hands entirely Um, In Daniel chapter 10 we kind of Get to know Daniel a little bit more deeply we got a, a good long prayer from him last week in Daniel chapter 9 and now in chapter 10 We see the experience he has watching these things come into play The kinds of things that he's seeing is his people, the Israelites who were supposed to be the chosen people of God, who were given these rights of accurate worship of the God who created the world, he's seen them carried away into captivity, and he himself is one of the captives. He was a prominent member in the nation of Israel. Uh, In the first chapter of Daniel, it says that he was a goodly person from the line of Judah, So he was a prominent propagator of this Israelite culture. But he spent the vast majority of his life at this point in a pagan nation, serving wicked, violent, oppressive pagan kings, and being taught the practices of pagan divination. His job was to be a seer in the courts, of Babylon, and now the kingdom that is in charge is this kingdom of Persia. So Daniel's looking around at this time of his life and this time and this climate in the world, and he starts to feel really upset about that. And I think that we could relate to that because regardless of where you stand in life right now and kind of how far you look, there's always going to be brokenness. I don't know if you've been uh, reading the news lately. If you haven't, I would encourage you not to. There are horrific murders in the news right now. That's not just a miscellaneous caution that I'm giving right now. There's some really horrifying things going on. There's stories of corruption. There's uh, abuse and and cover-ups. And it's very, very upsetting. Just like Daniel, we find ourselves steeped in a world of disappointing climates. Now, what Daniel is going to do is he's going to take his concerns and his, um, his desperation over this brokenness in the world, and he's going to bring it to God, and he's going to come to see that the God that uh, he prays to is a bigger God than he expected. God is eventually going to answer the questions that Daniel has. But today, in our passage, all Daniel is going to experience is the person and nature of God and his kingdom. And it's really going to reorient Daniel's focus to realize that the greatest thing that God can do for us is not just resolving the broken incidents around us, but reconciling us to himself, that we can stand in the presence of a holy God. I would say that if, if you're looking for a direction from this passage before we get into it, and if you're taking notes, maybe it's this. Because God has successfully justified sinners to come into his presence, we can entrust him with all of the world's problems. That's what we'll find in today's passage. So let's, uh, let's open up. We're, we're going to do this kind of in chunks rather than reading the entire passage first. Um, I'm just going to start out with Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 right now it says in the third year of Cyrus king of Persia a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar and the word was true and it was great conflict and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision okay so this is not the beginning of the story this is more like a header He's giving us a date stamp so we know the year that this happens, and he's gonna he explains to us what is going to unfold in the remaining verses of what we have as a chapter. What he says is this: a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was great conflict. Depending on what translation you're reading this morning, I'm reading out of the ESV, your Bible may say the word was true and it was about a great conflict? Either way, the sentiment's about the same. If, it's, if what was supposed to be communicated in this passage was that the word was true and it was conflict, what that means is that it bothered Daniel so much because this is heavy news. It's difficult. So even though he received this word from God, it was not something that necessarily sat well with him. It gave him conflict internally. But if it, if it was supposed to be communicated that it was about great conflict, that's accurate, and it's kind of the same thing. You see, Daniel's word that he's going to receive in primarily chapter 11 is about conquests and war, and war always involves oppression, tyranny, and death. It always involves families destroyed, widows mourning, children growing up without their parents killed in the devastation of warfare. So regardless of whether this vision was a conflict to Daniel or whether it was just about conflict, you could just kind of recognize that this word that he gets involves some bad news. But not only does Daniel describe this word as conflict or about conflict, he says this, it's true. Now, the vision he gets is not allegorical. It's also um, not a joke. It's not sarcastic. It's not hypothetical. What Daniel comes to hear from God is something that is actually going to happen. Now, isn't that some of the worst news? News that is conflicting or about great loss, and then it's, it's true news? This experience that Daniel has is some of the worst kinds of things a human can receive. News that is bad, and yet news that is true and certain. But Daniel comes to understand what this vision is about. Let's, let's move on to verse 2, and I'm going to read all the way down to 4. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, pause. We have a verse break right there, and that's really helpful because that's where I wanted to stop. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. What is he mourning about? Well, if you've been with us through the book of Daniel so far, you know that for the last two chapters or so, and really through the entire book, there is this tone that Daniel experiences of sadness that his people have been carried away into captivity. Not only is it his patriotism that has been disturbed, but he's recognizing that the culture that they carried was one of worshiping God. And being that God had, in his judgment, carried them away into captivity, it meant two things. One, it meant that they had failed worshiping God despite the grace that he had given them. And it also meant that they could no longer do that where they stood. Let me explain what I mean by that. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, I'll talk about what his morning and fasting look like in a second but in verse 4 it says on the 24th day of the first month as i was standing on the bank of the great river that is the tigris we have a time of year that this happens it's in the first month probably the month of nissan maybe it says that in your translation or the month of abib and it's for three whole weeks so from um, from the third of nissan all the way to the 24th it's a 21 day fast in that time span is the celebration of passover and directly following the celebration of passover for that week is the feast of unleavened bread so it's this time of year when daniel remembers that god has greatly reached out to his nation of israel he saved them he's delivered them up out of bondage And yet now he himself is a representation of these people of Israel once again in bondage. A big part of the Passover was the fact that a lamb was to be sacrificed. And it remembered how God had covered over the people of Israel with the blood of the lamb. There was heavy atonement sacrifices that were practiced during this time. But the Israelites could not do this at this time in history. Because Jerusalem was destroyed along with the temple. So is this time of year when Daniel is just really getting hit close to home with the fact that things are broken and not what they should be? Like so many of us, he's looking at the world around him and he has to just see constant reminders of that brokenness, whether you're looking at the news or whether you're walking down the street in Seattle and you see. The the people without homes and without things to eat. The children who are sitting with um, single parents on the side of the road. Constant reminders. This is what Daniel is experiencing. He was praying for three whole weeks, and it was a fast. Now, a fast usually means that you're not eating at all. Daniel's was a little bit augmented. He was not eating anything pleasurable, probably just bread and water. He wasn't eating any meat. He wasn't drinking any wine. He was just eating the bare minimum things he needed to survive. He also says that he didn't anoint himself. That, that's bathing practices. But it's, it's luxurious bathing practices. But it's, it is bathing. He's just debasing himself right now to physically manifest the mourning he feels internally. For three whole weeks. And nothing changes. He remains in this area uh, that was formerly Babylon and now is under the Persian Empire. Nothing changes. Not only that, but for three whole weeks, despite this good religion, this good piety, He doesn't even get an answer from the Lord, not even necessarily a word of comfort. For the course of 21 days, and maybe you could relate to this, maybe there are times in your life where you are desperate because pain in your life or pain in the lives of people that you love, and you're coming to God earnestly and seriously, sincerely, but nothing changes. Situations don't turn around. And you don't get that sense of comfort that you're seeking. That's a reality. That's a reality of the world we live in today, the world's problems and the brokenness around us. Now, for Daniel, we will get a reason for why he had to wait so long, uh, but that is to come. So let's carry on. I'm going to read verses five through nine. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves so i was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me my radiant appearance was fearfully changed and i retained no strength then i heard the sound of his words and as i heard the sound of his words i fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground this is the the answer to his prayer or the beginning of the answer of this 21 days of prayer it it is a vision Of this fearsome person that he calls the man in linen it's interesting that this is the answer to his prayer because it's seemingly unrelated to the things that he's probably praying about he he has this really really strange encounter now there is dispute about who this man in linen is Um, it's clearly something heavenly and divine it's something angelic in nature. But here's the dispute. Is this God? Is this a vision of God or a vision of Jesus? Or is it just some other high-ranking angel? Now, some some theologians say it's not worth arguing about, and I I would kind of agree with that, because whether this is an angel or God himself, it's a representation of God's glory, is it not? Being that this is a, a being from the heavenlies, this magnitude and this this fearsomeness as a representation to Daniel of the God that he serves and the nature of the kingdom of the God he serves. That being said, I do want to just take a slight departure and talk about why I I do feel like this is an appearance of God, or more specifically, an appearance of Jesus. And if you don't track with this and you don't agree with it, that's totally fine. But I do want to explore this because if this, is, if this is just an angel, it's beautiful. If this is Jesus himself, it just means a little bit more, doesn't it? So in Daniel 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verses 5 through 9, we get this description of the man, of lin, man in linen, and he is really, really similarly described to the vision that John has in Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, uh, John not to make this convenient for us John never says I see Jesus and gives his name but he sees this vision that is clearly Jesus this vision in Revelation chapter 1 the one like the son of man says you know behold I was dead and now I'm alive forevermore clearly this is Jesus he sees in Revelation chapter 1. now in Daniel 10 the man is clothed in linen in Revelation 1 the son of man is clothed with a long robe slight departure In Daniel 10, there's a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. That means there's this beautiful, radiant, pure gold around his waist. In Revelation 1, it's a golden sash around his chest. Again, another slight departure. In Daniel 10, his face was like the appearance of lightning. In Revelation 1, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. A little bit closer. In Daniel 10, his eyes like flaming torches. In Revelation 1, his eyes were like a flame of fire. In Daniel 10, his arms and legs, but that Hebrew word can also mean feet, so maybe his hands and feet, like the gleam of burnished bronze. In Revelation 1, his feet were like burnished bronze. Daniel 10, the sound of his voice was like the sound of a multitude. Revelation 1, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Daniel 10, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground, Revelation 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Um, Now, there are other angels throughout scripture that we know are not Jesus who are described kind of like this vision that Daniel has in chapter 10. Um, There is the angel that removes the stone away from Jesus' tomb. We know that's not Jesus because Jesus is in the tomb. That angel is described as having a face that was like lightning. There are also seven angels that come out of the throne room of God in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, and it says that they're clothed in linen and that they have golden sashes around their chests. We know that those are not Jesus because there's seven of them and there's only one Jesus. The reason, however, that I think that this passage is about Jesus comes a little bit later. It's in Daniel, chapter 12, verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream one on that bank of the stream and someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream how long shall it be to the end of these wonders and i heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream um and we'll just pause there because we'll get to that in two weeks if you don't pay close attention to daniel chapter 10 it'll look like all of this story involves the man in linen But there is a little bit of a quiet breakup, and we'll get to that in a second. Yet, what we see in Daniel chapter 12, the passage I just read, is that there are different angelic beings, at least three here, right? One on one end of the stream, standing at the bank. The other standing at the other bank of the stream. And then this man in linen, mentioned by the same description and by name, is hovering over the stream. And these two angelic beings who are standing at the bank of the stream ask this man in linen to reveal things to them. Clearly, this man in linen is someone of great authority. So, when Daniel sees this, he is terrified. Um, why, is he, why is he terrified? Well, it's just objectively a scary vision. Can you imagine being in a place where this, this mighty man in front of you with eyes like lightning, face... Face like lightning, eyes like burning fire, of course objectively that's scary, but there's also something that's deeper that is common to other people who come into the presence of God or in his angelic beings, and it's this, people cannot deny in the presence of a holy God that they themselves are not holy. In the physical presence of God, there's this instant recognition that God is holy and we are profane. That he stands burning and we stand impure and flammable. When Isaiah comes into the presence of God in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is Instantly brought into a place where he recognizes that his sinfulness and the sinfulness that he's engaged with around him has disqualified him from being in the presence of God himself or one of my favorite passages is in Luke chapter 5 verse 8 I think it's when Jesus shows Peter his power by just Jesus Filling up a net full of fish now. This is something that Peter can understand. It seems small and kind of ridiculous But this just speaks to Peter, who's been fishing all of his life and knows that somebody can't control fishing to this magnitude. And Peter just looks at Jesus and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. In the presence of God's greatness, there is a fear that falls upon humanity. Let's keep moving on. So he falls asleep, sort of. He just, he's so overwhelmed by this vision that he passes out, okay? So he falls on the floor, face down. And then verse 10. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he spoke in this word to me, I stood up trembling, For the rest of this chapter, we're going to see an increase and progressing of Daniel recovering from this vision. So physically, he's going to show these manifestations. First, when he saw this vision of the man in linen, he falls flat on his face and he passes out. But he comes to at the touch of a hand. And I, I think right here that this touch of a hand is a different figure, is not the man in linen. We'll we'll see in the next few verses that Daniel just finds his presence a little bit more tolerable than than he found the man in linen. So this hand touches him, and it sets him trembling on his hands and knees. There's a little bit of progress there. He falls on his face, face down, as he's unconscious, and then he becomes conscious. He comes to, and then he's able to come up just to his hands and knees. Not further than that, though. And then he's exhorted by this figure... O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. The touch of this figure strengthens Daniel, but the words of this figure also encourages Daniel. Now, this is an an angelic being, otherworldly, and yet this being knows Daniel by name. O Daniel, Daniel. There's a personalness to it, and that touch, that physical contact, contact, it's personal, and the calling by name is personal, and what is the word that is brought to him, man greatly loved? Daniel is terrified in the presence of this man in linen, recognizing his insufficiency. The angel doesn't dispute that, but he does say, Daniel, Daniel, implying that Daniel is known, and then explicitly says, oh man greatly loved, telling him you are loved. You may be insufficient, but you are loved and you are known. Now that's enough to get Daniel up to his hands and knees, but the, uh, the figure says, hey man, just stand up. And that's there's there's uh, there's this thing about Daniel where he stands right there, but I kind of get the sense that it's because he can't with he can't um, ignore that, almost like a command. It's a beckoning from this divine being, stand upright. So Daniel's able to stand upright, but he stands up trembling. He's not feeling that much better. We're still seeing that physical progress, right? From passed out, face down, to now standing up and shaking. And then verses 12 through 14, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come." I find this to be one of the most fascinating parts of not just the book of Daniel, not just this chapter, but one of the most fascinating parts in all of scripture, because we get a glimpse of how spiritual warfare works in the spiritual plane. Now, we were talking about how badly it can feel when you're seeking God with sincerity and piety, and yet, seemingly to you, no incidents change, no comfort comes to you. I don't know how it works today because things have changed since the time of Daniel, right? Jesus' victory on the cross is secured. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. So some things are surely different, but we can at least consider here that in the times when we feel like God is not answering us and situations are not improving, that the war is waging on. Daniel is probably praying about the very things that are happening in the spiritual realm, praying that God would Change the course of history so that way the Persians would not be subduing the people of Israel, so that way true worship of the true God can return to the world. And this angel's telling him, Hey, for the last 21 days, I've been fighting with the prince of Persia. Now, that's not a person, the prince of Persia. That's a rank of a demonic fallen angel that is bolstering up the kingdom of Persia. In the spiritual realm, behind the curtain, there's this angel who's fighting against the king of per- the prince of Persia, so he can get to Daniel and bring him this word. Now, th- this this war is so intense that this angel just cannot get through. He cannot cannot uh, like take out the prince of Persia for long enough to sneak away and get to Daniel. So he has to do a tag team thing. He tags this person named Michael, who's another angel who is uh, the prince of your people, we see here in Daniel chapter 10, equal rank of the prince of Persia, but on God's side instead. And that, Michael, takes over the fight so that way this angel can come and speak to Daniel. So it's worth considering, guys, that even when situations don't change, even when we don't feel like we're getting a comfort, that there is something currently going on in the midst beyond what we can see where God is indeed answering our prayers. But what needs to be considered is the trust to the God that we serve. I want to highlight the last thing that this angel says in this chunk that we just read. I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. That's not what Daniel wants to hear. And that's not what we want to hear when we come to God and say that there's this really pressing, imminent problem now. God, please solve this. Save the people that I love, Save me. Change what's going on in the political powers in the world. Save this planet. And even if you get a divine vision like Daniel gets, hearing that, yeah, that's not going to come right away, is still not excellent news. This angel's job is to show Daniel the end game, what's going to be in the long run. And spoiler alert, effectively, what Daniel is going to learn from this angel is there's never going to be ultimate rest for the nation of Israel until the end of all things, until Jesus or God's Messiah comes and rules in this world. So until the end of the world, Daniel, the thing that you're praying for will not happen. The latter days, the end times, and it's for days yet to come. It's not for right now verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and was mute, and behold, one, like the likeness of the children of man, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. This, this chunk that I just read starts with When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and was mute. Daniel is still recovering, right? So that could just be words of weakness. He's still speechless. He's still woozy, but it could also be a direct response to that news that this is about latter days. These are for days yet to come. This could be just disappointment. He turns his face to the ground and can't even speak. Behold, one like the children of man touched my lips. This is another angel. Depending on how you're counting, this might be angel number three. Comes and touches his mouth so that way he can finally speak. Daniel is incapacitated. He can't verbalize what he's experiencing emotionally or even physically. But finally, he receives this strength again from this intimate contact, this physical contact, hand of this angel to his lips. And he's finally able to speak again. But really... All he's able to muster is saying, look, I am so worn out by this vision that I really can't pay attention to this conversation right now. That's that's what he says. Let's read it again. This is 16. Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me. I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. All he can say, all he can talk, all he can speak is, I really can't talk. I really can't speak. I really cannot endure this conversation right now. But I, wanna, I want to really quickly zoom into why he's under so much pain. He says so directly right here. It's not the same reason he was mourning before. Remember, he was mourning before because of the brokenness in the world and the disappointment and the distraughtness he had about the climate that surrounded him. But right now, he's in deep pain and turmoil not because of those issues out there but because of this by reason of the vision the vision of the man in linen right now with this conversation that he's beginning to have with these angelic beings that's described as a message there's one vision he's had at this point and it's the vision of the man in linen daniel got into this situation wanting to talk to god about About things that were deeply troubling him and disturbing him but what he found instead was an uncovering of the brokenness between him and god that despite the fact that daniel is an upstanding lover of god i'm not disputing that he cannot stand in the face of god's glory and that is tearing him up and he can't even managed to listen to the answer of the prayer he'd been praying for three weeks. His attention is entirely overwhelmed by the chasm between him and this holy God. Let's keep reading. Verses 18 through 20. Again, one, having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, "Oh man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke this to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Again, one having the appearance of man. Depending on how you're counting, this may be angel number four. Comes and touches him again. There's this physical, intimate contact. There's this gentleness. Reaches out and touches him. And gives him strength. And listen to this exhortation. It's a lot like the one he already received before, but there's more tacked onto it, right? Remember, O oh, Daniel, you are greatly loved. This one is, O oh, man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong, and of good courage. Just rolling in these justifying words, these life giving words that come from great and holy authority. He's not just pampering Daniel. Daniel recognizes that in the face of this angel, what he's receiving is true. Remember, the capstone, the headline of this entire situation is that it is true. And Daniel has these life giving words spoken over him You're greatly loved. Now, be strong and of good courage. Those those are famous words that are usually used in times when God is raising up a warrior. It's used so many times in the book of Joshua. And it's recycled a few times in the times of the kings, especially found in the book of Chronicles. But then there's this, peace be with you. That's the word shalom. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into what shalom means. It's a deep, long topic that's far actually above my head. But effectively, peace is not just serenity. It's not just tranquility. It's also not just a ceasefire. It's all of those things and more shalom be with you means total perfection all things as they should be humming in harmony what what dissonance can daniel feel getting those words from an angel where the very reason he fell on his knees to pray this three-week-long prayer was because things are not shalom things are not in ceasefire this is a time of great war Things are not as they should be. Things do not buzz in harmony. There's discord and brokenness and abuse and oppression and tyranny and violence. So, so why can this angel say, peace be with you? Again, is this just fluffy positivisms? Peace be with you because you're greatly loved and you are known. And be strengthened because I've reached out and touched you. This angel being a representation of God's kingdom is the one that initiates. God's kingdom reaching across the chasm and touching Daniel and giving him the strength to stand firm in front of these great things. So as these words were spoken to Daniel he uh, he receives his strength and he's ready to hear the message that this angel has gone through spiritual warfare just to bring him daniel's now ready for it and if you want to hear what that is you'll have to stick around for the next two weeks because it doesn't happen in this chapter but let's let's finish out the chapter verses 20 and 21 then he said do you know why i've come to you but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these except Michael, your prince. Now, these, these last two verses, they really just kickstart us for the next two chapters. They, they, um, they just traject us into those. But there is a little bit there. He says, uh, do you know why I've come to you? That's a rhetorical question. Um, but maybe he's also kind of brushing the dust off of Daniel and say, hey, did you hear the stuff I was saying before? <laughs> but um, what this angel is here to do is just to tell Daniel what's to come. This angel is not here to change the incidents. This angel is also not here to tell you there is a silver lining. I know it looks like war, but in reality it is this. That's not what this angel's here to do. This angel's job is just to tell Daniel what the end game is, where this is headed how God will ultimately resolve this, even if it takes to the end of time itself. That's what the angel's here to do. He's just a bringer of words. And then he says, look, when I leave you, I'm going to go and fight the prince of Persia again. This warfare is going to continue past this message I'm going to give you. Things will continue to be bad. And things will even get worse because once the prince of Persia is defeated, once this demonic realm that is bolstering up this oppressive empire, once that demonic realm is taken out from behind the human Persia, another one comes back up, and that one's Greece. Things will get worse, not better. The troubles will continue, not end. And then there's this. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. That is an encouragement. He's already let Daniel know that Michael is able to handle this spiritual warfare. He also says that this is your prince. This is a ranking angel over God's people, assigned to God's people. Some people believe this means that if the demon behind Persia is the prince of the kings of Persia, then Michael, your prince, means that Michael is the national angel for Israel. Things will get worse, but God is fully equipped, and God will handle these things. And that's where our chapter ends, because it's it's kind of a cliffhanger. And we'll we'll pick that up next week. But there's so much to be had in chapter ten, even though it's really just a precursor. Because look, bad things happen. You've been in those places. Sometimes you'd rather keep your eyes to the ground than look around and see all the difficulties in the world, the difficulties in your life, the difficulties in the lives of, you, of the people you love, and the difficulties in the world at large. These problems that are deep and difficult. And look, we can, we can pray and we can worship and we can, we can fast and we can seek God with all sincerity and piety, but sometimes those problems won't stop. And sometimes the comforting words that people say are not true. Sometimes the true commentary on the hard things is that they involve conflict and that they will get worse and that it is not over. But in those times, what we experience is that God is saying, Hey, look, things are bad. I've got this, though. And you are known and you are loved. And it's God's kingdom that reaches across the chasm and touches those insufficient to stand in his presence. None of this is about Daniel cleaning himself up so that way he can stand in front of God's kingdom. None of these are Daniel's words praising God enough to where he could be justified in his presence. Instead, it's the angel saying, hey, we know your name. Hey, you're loved. Hey, your prayers have been heard since the very first day you prayed them. And if if God can strengthen Daniel so that way Daniel can stand upright and hear and receive what it is that God has for him, then God can handle the broken things in the rest of the world. Daniel sees the true magnitude that the greatest problem is not just the things going on horizontally and laterally, it's the interpersonal breakings between our relationships and God, that even a great man like Daniel, a man of great faith, a man of God, greatly loved can't stand in the presence of this holy God. That is the biggest brokenness. And what God has exemplified for Daniel here is that he can handle that. And if he can handle that, then he can also handle all the other things in the peripheries that are just small in comparison. That if God could reach across the chasm and touch those insufficient to be in his presence then he can handle these things on the outside, too, even if it's not right away. Now, I I want to put some rubber on the road and, and share a little bit about what's been going on in my life and how this is so real to me right now. It's been a very hard season in my household this last month because we got some true and bad news, some imminent news that's about a later time, and it was It was so hard to navigate we were so overjoyed to find out that we were we were pregnant with our third kid and then at the time of our first ultrasound we found out that the baby was in there but the heart wasn't beating when when daniel headlines this vision saying that this the word was true and it was a conflict it reminds me of when the doctor said it's bad news that this is a failed pregnancy but it is conclusive When the angel says to, to Daniel that this is about latter days and it's about days yet to come, it reminds me of when the doctor said, you guys are still going to have to deliver this baby and it's going to happen sometime in the next several weeks. In the midst of that, I was praying and I was seeking God. By God's grace, it didn't shake my faith. But things didn't change. The baby didn't revive And we still had to wait for things to get worse when the baby was to be delivered. But in the midst of those things, God just reached and comforted my wife and me, my family, even my four-year-old daughter who drew a picture of our lost baby with Jesus. The goodness of God reassures us that in the midst of the things that are true and of great conflict are not of consequence because our God is so good. That's indisputable. And when Daniel was in the face of this man in linen, he realized how merciful this God is. This God who could wipe him off the world in any second, but instead knows his name. Instead greatly loves him. Instead reaches out and touches Daniel. And that's what I've experienced. And the news that we got was of great conflict, and it was true, and it was imminent. And it was just about things, even still yet to come, things that are going to get worse. But I want to leave you with this. This angel has come to tell Daniel that it will be resolved, even if it's not until the end of all things. And that's, that's my situation too. I will never have my son in this life, but I will at the end of all things. But this angel tells Daniel, like God tells us so many times in our lives, this will be resolved. It will be resolved sometime in the future. But what is very, very special is this angel says, This will be resolved, but you are greatly loved. We're waiting, guys. We're waiting for the problems in the world to be fixed. But there's no waiting for God's love. There's no waiting for the intimate knowledge that your God knows your name. And that this God is greater than you deserve and greater than you can handle. Yet this is a God who could reach across the chasm. This is the hand that reached across planks of wood configured like the cross and is nailed to atone for our brokenness that disqualifies us from his kingdom. This is the God who reaches... And he's reaching for us this morning. There's brokenness in the world. Pray for those things. I'm not saying don't care about them. But I'm saying because God has justified sinners who don't deserve him, we have to trust him with the things in this world that bring us hopelessness. Because he is capable. But not only is he capable, he is willing. If you're not a Christian today, Receive that touch. Receive that strength in the midst of a world of bad news. And if you are a Christian today, let's worship together. Let's take communion together. Let's praise the God who's reached across the chasm and rescued our hearts. Let's display to the world how much we can trust a capable and willing God in the midst of an entire world of bad news. Let that be a witness to the world. So, we can boldly approach the throne of God because Jesus has saved us. There's true and bad news in this world, but there's true and good news in the heavenlies, and that's that Jesus saves sinners. Let's pray. God, there is good news this morning, but there's also bad news but there's also good news. And I, I just pray over this church that's made up of people that I love that we would not be um, delusional. And that when people come to us mourning, that we wouldn't pat them on the back and say, hey, there's a silver lining. But recognize that sometimes even divine news is true, but with conflict. And so right now we just embrace the good news that is also true. We should also recognize that sometimes people, well-meaning people and, and even the world at large tells good news that isn't true and that doesn't help anybody. But hallelujah, your good news is true. That you know us by name, that you love us, that you reach across. And that I'm gonna see my son in eternity. And that these broken things that surround all of us that hurt our hearts, that they will be resolved. Now, that's true and good news, and it's worth the wait. But we don't have to wait for your love. So this morning, we embrace and receive your love. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I can welcome my wife, Christina, up for worship. Um, there's going to be some folks up here in the front who are willing uh, to, who are designated to be praying for you. Um, come up receive some prayer or introduce yourself it's your first time here there's also